Coming up on the Rami Lavi podcast, after a positive update from DeMar Hamlin, the first thing he asked about was football, and we're talking about football. Uh, we recap everything that happened in Week 17 in the NFL and preview all the different playoff scenarios that could happen in Week 18 in the NFL. And of course, as always, we pick the games. Loaded episode. I also cleaned up some stuff from last episode about basketball and some of the things about actually DeMar Hamlin and updated that situation. So a whole lot coming up on the Rami Lavi podcast. Stay tuned. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 125. If you haven't heard last episode, I think it was one of the best. Episode 124, go back, listen to it. <laughs> um, and then come back to this one. It's long, looks a little daunting when you first see it. Um, but I think I always listen back to how I sound and how I think I come off. And then a lot of times the way I can judge myself also is by listening to other people who I respect and listen to people do this. Obviously, everyone knows that uh, probably the first podcast I ever listened to and I listened to consistently was Bill Simmons and hearing him do his podcast where he opened about DeMar Hamlin and everything that went down on Monday night and then shifted to talking about the Knicks. I felt pretty good about what I did. Um, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but you want to do the right thing. It was what I felt in my heart was the right thing. And ultimately, I think it was the right thing. So whether you know it came off good or how it sounded, I thought it sounded great um, because I thought the podcast was actually good. Um, there was a real life situation. There still is, but we obviously have an update and I'll get to that in a second. But there was a real, real life situation that was at hand that had to be talked about and discussed in a real way. Something that sometimes doesn't happen uh, in sports, but you can't ignore it when it does. And we talked about it. We were honest about it. Um, I gave my opinion exactly how I felt about it. Um, And then 
unfortunately, or fortunately, my job, what I've made my job is to have fun and to take the best of sports and to highlight the best of sports. So that's why I, I focused on the good that we saw on Monday night, the good that we've seen this past week, and it continues to just get better. The stories that are coming out, the stories about DeMar Hamlin, the person, the stories about the athletic training staff of both the Bills and the Bengals and all the people on site, the doctors in the hospital, the Bengals fans, um, the Bills fans that we already know, Bills Mafia, all the people who are donating online. All the stories that you've heard are awesome stories. So I, I chose that the best thing to do was to highlight that and talk about that and then shift from football and talk about basketball. Now, had I not recorded with my father, I wouldn't have talked about football at all. But because I recorded on Sunday with my father, and granted, it wasn't the easiest transition to then go to joking around about the Jets with my father. And by the way, just to clear one thing up for real that needs to be cleared up, I said um, over dramatic. I was like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to sound this sounds over dramatic and stupid. When I said that on last episode, I was referring to my conversation with my father, not the Damar Hamlin conversation. That was a serious thing and had to be taken seriously. And I don't take it lightly. I still don't. Um, and so when I said, I don't want to sound over dramatic and whatever, that was referring to the conversation I had about the jets being eliminated with my father, which we were a little over dramatic about it, but, um, I hope everyone took it in the manner in which it was intended, which was humor. Obviously it happened before the DeMar Hamlin situation. That's not to say though, that just because something terrible happened, uh, you can't laugh about something else and have humor and find the good in other things. Um, and I think, you know, my goal was to find the good in everything. And we did. And it feels like that's how the sports world reacted. And um, I I think this week, now that DeMar, and we'll give the update, like I said in a second, has moved closer to a full recovery. And that looks like something that's not out of the question yet. And still, you know, got to hope and pray for him because, um, you know, anything could happen. It's still a very delicate situation. He's still in the ICU. He's still, you know, on a ventilator, um, all those things you have to take into account. And so if you believe in prayer, you should pray if, you know, whatever you feel like you can do is the right thing to do. Like I said, on last episode, whether it's just an act of kindness or do something that you feel like, uh, is appropriate, then do it. I'm all for it. Um, I personally believe in a higher power and I, so, you know, I've said prayers for him and um, and it's incredible what the power of unity and the power of people coming together can do because this kid is, he's a fighter clearly and he seems like a really good kid from all the stories and the videos that are coming out from before this game and hopefully he can get back to being that person whether he plays football again or not, hopefully he can get back to being that person, that inspiration um, for people because I think this is one of the most momentous uh, weeks in sports. It can be go down as that if everyone comes together and everyone remembers the unity and how everyone fought together for that kid um i think this could take something that was such a negative and such a terrible awful thing and in the moment it felt so just just bad and turned it into something great and i think that's um that's really cool that uh sports has the ability to do that and it really comes down to human beings and people have the ability to do that. So that's about that. Um, I do want to hear, here's a couple things I want to say about the situation. So he is on the ventilator, but he woke up, he was looking around. They obviously had the press conference from the doctors, um, at the hospital this week and shout out to the doctors, obviously in the hospital. Um, he woke up, 
he was he saw his loved ones he was squeezing their hands he understood kind of i guess what happened although maybe he's not fully aware of what happened but he understood he's in a hospital and the first thing he asked when they had the conversation with him he would they were talking to him he was comprehending what they were saying to him and uh he was writing back to them because he still is on the ventilator so he can't talk but tomorrow the first thing he did was he wrote who won the Monday night football game. So ultimate football guy. That's that's what comes out of that. The ultimate football guy, DeMar Hamlin. But it also tells you that this kid is definitely closer to the guy he was before. Uh, maybe he doesn't fully understand the severity of what he went through, um, which is more than likely at this point. But obviously, um, he <laughs> his first question was about the game. So if that, if you had any questions about the NFL playing Week 18 and the Bills going back to play, uh, I think those questions have been answered. I think the Bills, who didn't have media availability, didn't have practice this week until today, until they got that story came out. Now I feel like they probably feel pretty good about them, and they're going to be fighting for this kid, and they're going to be playing for this kid, uh, their teammate, who they obviously love. Um and it's just awesome. It's gone from, like I said, from a terrible tragedy to what's become a really awesome story and not out of the woods yet, but it could become something great. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, and shame on me for not mentioning this previously on, uh, I guess, on Tuesday or Wednesday when I talked uh, about this the first time, but like I said, the medical staff at the game and specifically one person, the guy who immediately realized what had happened, caught what happened, saw that it was a heart situation, ran and got the defibrillator, and the actual guy who um, did the CPR, his name is uh, Denny Kellington, and he is a one of the Bills training staff members, um, and he is a real-life hero. He performed CPR on Damar Hamlin, and he saved his life because when you talk about something, a situation like that, uh, it's a, it's literally a matter of seconds and minutes. And had they not noticed right away, had they not diagnosed what the situation was immediately, a matter of seconds could have been the difference between life and death. It could have been the difference between him being cognitive for the rest of life, his life and what happens and how what kind of life he can live. And Denny Kellington was the person who snapped into action, made sure they got the defibrillator on the field. Um, so shout out to Cincinnati. They went and got that. There was also a girl on the training staff um, who I heard was in charge. She was the one who made sure that there was a human wall of players around him so that uh, uh, DeMar would have his privacy in that moment while Denny Kellington was uh, performing the CPR, which ultimately saved DeMar's life. And we hope that uh, it only continues in the hospital and continues to get better and he continues to get stronger uh, on the road to a full recovery. Whether that means football or not is so irrelevant um, for his life. Um he sounds like a special person. The story that they told about how he had offers from all these big time colleges and he decided to stay close to home because he wanted to be a role model for his brother. Like people don't do that. And maybe he wouldn't have been, we saw so many times, six round draft pick, whatever. Maybe he wouldn't have been a six round draft pick. Maybe he would have been a higher draft pick if he was able to go to one of these major schools. So just, I mean, so many great stories have come out from this situation. Um, one thing I haven't seen, not that I've been looking, is I haven't seen like a video on Twitter or Instagram or even on TMZ of like them actually doing the CPR. So like the people in the stadium, shout out to them for understanding uh, the situation and not being inappropriate also as sometimes fans tend to be. So now to the game. Um, and it doesn't feel gross yet to talk about it because 
um it you know like i said he's doing better thankfully so the next thing on the agenda as this is a sports podcast and this is what i talk about i'm you know i I, at least i tried to talk about is, is sports and so the next thing that people are talking about today is the game they called the game it's officially canceled i don't blame the bills players for not wanting to go back on that field back in prime time it just has bad juju and maybe they'll meet again in the playoffs in that same ballpark that's possible um but just the idea that they were going to go back and finish that exact game just didn't feel uh, right. So there are a few scenarios. One of the scenarios that was floated out today was actually a um, that there would be eight teams in the playoffs in the Eastern in the AFC and the NFC. I keep saying Eastern and Western Conference, but it's the AFC and the NFC. There would be eight teams in each playoff, uh, an eighth team added, which would put the Jets back into the playoff picture. And I said to my father, I was like, "This would be classic Jets. Like they get put back into the playoff picture. We want after." being eliminated right first we thought they were eliminated with the loss to jacksonville then they come back and they're back in the playoffs then they get eliminated a second time to seattle and then maybe they make the playoffs after being eliminated theoretically twice they actually make the playoffs this time and they get blown out by kansas city in the first game of the playoffs in the like the first round in arrowhead lose by 30 points like what would the line be for that game 17 right if the jets were going to kansas city um as the eight seed and then, but then Robert Sala saves his job. This team made the playoffs, right? After all, like how could you fire a coach who just made the playoffs? Um, how could you fire Mike Lafleur if the team just made made the playoffs? Um, maybe Mike White plays well enough to get them into the playoff game. So, like all of a sudden, no, well, we're, now we're bringing back Mike White. So, the idea that the Jets—the only thing that would be more Jets—is it would take literally uh, the most obscure situation, the most horrific situation ever just to screw the Jets franchise for the long run would have been classic. Uh, but that doesn't look like what's going to actually happen. Um, Adam Schefter wrote this, and I'm going to try and read it because it's tiny and my eyesight is bad, but I'm going to try and read here uh, what Adam Schefter wrote. Let me let me turn it sideways on my phone so I could see it better. Uh, maybe I could zoom in a little bit. All right, yeah, that's that's a lot better. Here we go. Canceling the game between the Bills and the Bengals creates potential competitive inequities in certain playoff scenarios. In an effort to mitigate those inequities, NFL clubs will consider tomorrow in a special league meeting a resolution. This is today, by the way, Friday. So if you're listening to this, tomorrow means today. Recommended by the commissioner and approved today by the competition committee consisting of two elements. By the way, and I don't want to hate on anyone here because, like I said, I thought everything was handled well. The amount of self-praise, because when Adam Schefter speaks, he's speaking, he's a mouthpiece for the league. Um, <laughs> the amount of self-praise that Goodell has been giving himself has been hilarious throughout this whole situation, but okay. Number one, the AFC Championship game will be played on a neutral site if the participating teams played an, an unequal number of games, and both could have been the number one seed and hosted the game had all AFC clubs played a full 17-game regular season. Those circumstances involve Buffalo or Cincinnati qualifying for the game as the road team and are listed below. So basically, these these are the scenarios that that would play out in. Scenario one, Buffalo and Kansas City both win or both tie. A Buffalo versus Kansas City championship game would be on a neutral site. Scenario two, and I'll explain all this after I'm done reading. Scenario two, Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Baltimore wins or ties. Buffalo versus Kansas City championship game would be at a neutral site scenario three buffalo and kansas city both play and cincinnati wins a buffalo or cincinnati versus kansas city championship game would be on a neutral site okay so that's number one that's number one is what happens in a potential championship game if it's really if kansas city loses um 
then they would potentially drop. If Cincinnati wins and Kansas City loses, then Cincinnati would have the potential to jump to the one seed. So what happens in that scenario? Uh, also, if Kansas City and, and Cincinnati both lose and Baltimore wins, so if basically if Kansas City and Cincinnati and Buffalo all lose, so those are the scenarios where then there would be an equal amount of games and those three teams would still, the, the one seed would theoretically be undecided. So uh, they'd play a... And a championship game, the AFC championship game, would be played at a neutral site. I've heard Indianapolis is the site that they're going to play, which makes sense. If Baltimore defeats Cincinnati, this is number two. If Baltimore defeats Cincinnati in Week 18, it will have defeated Cincinnati, a divisional opponent, twice, but will not be able to host a playoff game because Cincinnati will have a higher winning percentage for the 16-game schedule than Baltimore will for a 17-game schedule. If Baltimore defeats Cincinnati and if those two clubs are scheduled to play a wildcard game against one another, the site for the game would be determined by a coin toss if Cincinnati wins Week 18, or if Baltimore and Cincinnati are not scheduled to play one another in the wildcard round, the game sites would be determined as the regular schedule procedures. So basically, this is talking about who wins the AFC North. So essentially, Baltimore cannot win the AFC North anymore, which kind of sucks for Baltimore. Um, but like I said, even if they they would have beaten Cincinnati twice, if they beat Cincinnati on Sunday, they will they will have beaten Cincinnati twice this year, and yet still, um, they will not have won the division because percentage points wise, Cincinnati would be ahead of them uh, because Cincinnati played one less game than them. So, like we said, in that type of scenario, it really would only matter um, if they end up playing each other in the playoffs. Then a coin toss would decide who has home field in that game. That's crazy. As we considered the football schedule, our principles have been to limit disruption across the league and minimize competitive inequities, Goodell said. This is a direct quote from Goodell. I recognize that there is no perfect solution. The proposal we are asking the ownership to consider, however, addresses the most significant potential equitable issues created by the difficult but necessary decision not to play the game under these extraordinary circumstances. So like I said, really this affects the most. It affects um, Baltimore. They can't win the division now. Um, and that's, you know, here locally, I'm sure that's going to be a hot topic in Baltimore. For everyone else, uh, I don't think that's going to be as much of a hot topic because the Ravens, they have other issues with, as it pertains to Lamar Jackson and that whole situation. John Harbaugh came out this week and said he's done answering questions about Lamar Jackson. And he was kind of feisty when he said it. So that scenario is uh, getting intense uh, between the Ravens and Lamar. So who knows what's happening there? Even though the reports last week from Mike Creston, uh, who writes for the Baltimore Sun, was that, no, everything's continuing as normal. He's rehabbing. They're going to negotiate a long-term contract after the season. That doesn't seem to be the case. There seems to be definitely a divide between the franchise and the player. And Harbaugh kind of seems to be caught in the middle of it. He loves his player. He's loyal to the franchise. That's his employee. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to make this about Baltimore, but essentially... Uh, if Kansas City wins on Saturday night, this is what you need to know. If Kansas City wins on Saturday night, none of this matters. Kansas City will be the one seed. Uh, and then if Buffalo and Cincinnati meet in the playoffs, I'm not sure what would determine you know who wins that game. But I guess you go, because I think they have the same record in conference. They'd have to figure out who would host that game, Buffalo or Cincinnati, if they were to meet each other in the playoffs. Um, maybe it would be a neutral site. That's what we talked about. It would be a neutral site, probably Indianapolis, if those two met in the playoffs, which is theoretically a good thing you rule out the possibility of that game having to be played again uh, in Cincinnati. Um, and the only other thing is if the Ravens and the Bengals meet in the playoffs, a coin toss would decide if that this is, of course, if Baltimore does indeed win on Sunday, 
Baltimore would still not be the three seed because uh, they would not have won the division. Cincinnati already, congrats, Cincinnati Bengals. They won the division officially today. Um, and the Bengals will not host the game. There will be a coin toss to decide who does host that game. So uh, I hope that cleans everything up. I hope that was clear. I know I did some reading. I also did some explaining on my own. So I hope that was clear. If not, uh, there's plenty of other places you could look that up or just listen back and listen closer this time. <laughs> um, all right. What else? I did want to clean up some other stuff from the episode because I'm going to talk about football. I'm going to talk about my takeaways from week 17, um, which I haven't gotten to yet. I'm going to talk, set up week 18 and the possible playoff scenarios and what could happen in week 18. I did want to clean up some basketball stuff. It's funny how literally immediately after I talk about Grayson Allen potentially costing the Bucks in a big spot, uh, right after that, Grayson Allen does something stupid, hits a guy in the balls while shooting a three-pointer, and then... Um, they were up 21 with three minutes left in the game. The Bucks were against Toronto. And then Toronto came back and forced overtime. Just the craziest event ever in basketball, actually. Like, the craziest comeback. 21 points in three minutes. And this is across the league. I kind of talked about this when I talked about the high scoring in the league. I didn't mention it. Uh, I didn't explain it well enough, I thought, on the last episode. But the high scoring has a lot to do with shooting three-pointers and the, the volume of shots and how quickly teams are playing. Teams are getting a lot more possessions per game because... A lot of fast breaks and a lot of the pace of game and the pace of the offense is a lot faster. And obviously the three-pointer. So a 21-point lead was erased uh, largely because of that on, uh, again, in a a three-minute span on Wednesday night. But also it was because Grayson Allen did something stupid. So it's kind of funny how I said that. Also, what did I tell you about Luka? Um, I told you, wait, let's wait till the Celtics game until we talk about how great Luka has been. And then we get to the Celtics game and the Celtics win by 30 points in Dallas. So a home loss by 30 points. So everyone who was talking about Luka, yeah, it's easy to be Luka Doncic and to do all those incredible things when you're playing against the Houston Rockets three times. But then you're 0 of 6 from 3 and you're 7 of 23 from the floor against the Boston Celtics against the real championship team. And by the way, a championship team that's looked beatable of late. They've looked like they've been faltering just a little bit, but they get back into rhythm. They get back on track. Of course, Tatum 29, Brown 19. They didn't need much more than that. Uh, Brown only played 30 minutes in this game. Luca, by the way, also only played 31 minutes in this game uh, once it was obviously over. Also, Jacques Vaughn, something that I didn't see because I talked about him and it was cool. Like I talk about, I talk about um, <laughs> a lot on the podcast. I talk about like getting validated for things I say. So, so far, Grayson Allen, immediate validation. Uh, Luka Doncic immediate validation and then I saw the video that I should have seen before the podcast but I hadn't which was the video of Jacques Vaughn coaching in the huddle two videos actually that came out and Bill Simmons mentioned this that they're showing a lot more on these mic'd up scenarios they're showing a lot more than the league used to Um, when it does like these mic'd up things it's showing a lot more than the league used to show the league used to just kind of show generic like hey guys hustle out there and that was I don't know if that was Tibbs or Doc Rivers but you get the point um now they're actually showing like real things like on these mic'd up scenarios. So the two things were one, it was Jacques Vaughn called a play and Kyrie kind of waved him off. And then Jacques Vaughn called a timeout and was like, no, 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 you don't wave me off. So when we talked about him holding his players accountable and discipline in the games, that's what I'm referring to. And then the other thing, the respect and the relationship between the players and the coach, he called a play at the end of the game and called it for uh, Kevin Durant. I don't know if it's, I don't remember if this is the end of the game, the end of the quarter. And he called it for Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant goes to Jacques and says, no, let's run this play for Kai. Let's run it for Kai and it's going to work. 
And Jacques said, okay, I trust you. I trust you, Kevin Durant. Let's run the same play. Let's run it for Kyrie. And they did. And then it shows him hit draining the shot. Um, just a cool moment. You see that this team is really responding to him. Again, the wild card remains. Kyrie's done this for a month now. Kyrie's reverted back to 2016, 2017 Kyrie Irving in Cleveland. But can Kyrie Irving do this for five more months, which is what it's going to take for them to win a championship? I don't know. Maybe yes. Maybe no. Julius Randle, um, the last thing on him, and vibes are at an all-time high. Uh, I was at the Knicks game the other night, and first of all, after the game, he he's leaving the press. He comes in, and Tibbs is being asked questions, and Tibbs, usual Tibbs, not smiling. And then Randle comes in to the press conference, and he's like, he's like, oh, thank God you're here. The Knicks also, Randall sat at the beginning of the second quarter and the Knicks didn't score for like the first five minutes of the second quarter, something like that. And I was sitting right near the Knicks bench and you just see Tibbs was standing kind of at midcourt and you hear, you see him turn around and just goes, Julius! And Julius is sitting alone at the end of the bench and just gets up and kind of walks. He's like, all right, I guess I'm back in the game. Like he had like a three minute rest, but the offense just looks awful and he gets back and Tibbs doesn't even... He just turns around and yells, Julius! And then uh, Randall gets up. That was kind of funny. Um, Randall was leaving the press conference also during Brunson's press conference. And he whips like out of his backpack. He takes out a bottle of wine. And he's like, want some wine? And and Brunson's kind of just laughing. Um, Randall also said after the game, he's like so much more relaxed. Like with the media, he's laughing again. He's like, ah, oh, I was terrible. So I had to block four shots to make up for how bad I was. And he wasn't bad. He had like 25 points in the game. He just wasn't up to standard. But he was doing some things. He came in specifically in that third quarter where he was making some moves that I don't remember seeing Julius Randle make, trying some new different things that he looks as locked in as he's been. He's making a second effort on D like that chase down block. I wish Mike Breen was on the call for, oh, blocked by Randle. Uh, it was not Mike Breen on the call because the Knicks uh, had Ed Cohen because I guess Wednesday night Mike Breen was doing ESPN. Still great. He's the, the second effort, the effort he's giving on every rebound. If Even if he doesn't get like an offensive rebound, he's challenging every offensive rebound, tipping it, um, and, and he's still getting back on D and the effort he's giving on D. And it's it's unbelievable. I haven't seen him this relaxed and this kind of like locked in at the same time. Um, the last 15 games, this is a real sample size. This is 15 games now. He's averaging 29.1 points per game, 12.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists on 47% shooting. Uh, this guy is playing the best basketball of his career, and he's having fun doing it. In the, in the Knicks are 10-5 and five in those 15 games, so that's, that's real. Um, and Brunson, the accountability, the leadership, in front of the whole Madison Square Garden crowd after the game during the interview that he does with Rebecca Harlow, he, he goes, the, she's asking him, like, oh, how great is it? You guys get to close out these close games. He's like, yeah, well, we wouldn't have to close out these close games like this if we would hit our free throws. Like, that, that's what he's focused on. So this team is focused on getting better. Obi Toppin, by the way, he is, and he's going to be back soon. Um, watching him is a whole other, like, that's a whole other show. Like, I'd pay just to watch Obi Toppin watch the Knicks. He's standing the entire time at the edge of the bench. He's interacting with the crowd. He's high-fiving every time the Knicks do something. He's high-fiving crowd. Uh, fans in the crowd. He's so into it. It's so cool to watch him react. He loves it. Uh, it's kind of cool how into it he is. And then at the end of the game, and this is the elephant in the room, you can say that the Knicks got lucky at the end of the game where they played tight defense, but Greg Popovich is tanking. He wants Victor Wembanyama. I guess he believes that Wemby is the real deal because I've never seen this from a Tibbs team. Uh, first, it's Sohan inbounding the ball at the end of the game, and he takes a five-second violation with five seconds to go down two. That's never happened. The Knicks go one for two from the free throw line with Evan Fournier, who's just atrocious. Um, and then they inbound the ball the second time, this time with three seconds left. 
The Spurs inbound it to Keldon Johnson, who waited till after the buzzer to shoot the potential game-tying three. And those are two mental errors. Those are two errors that don't happen by accident when your head coach is Greg Popovich. It just doesn't happen, or Sohan would have been cut today. And so the fact that those two things happen on back-to-back possessions, maybe the league should investigate because I think it had to have been on purpose. I think Popovich is blatantly tanking. All right, let's get to football. All right, I don't know how I always do this, but um, somehow I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a quick open and then talk about what I actually want to talk about it on the episode. And somehow I end up talking for like 25 minutes in the open. But that's that's life. <laughs> Let's talk about football a little bit. And it's funny when I wrote this segment, obviously I wrote it for Sunday night. I was like, happy new year, everyone. My new year actually started pretty poorly. Um, so my new year events, my new year plans did not go as planned. And I'm not going to complain about it. We're a few days removed. I'm not one of those people who's like super uh, like th- it happens already. So I'm not going to dwell on it and be like, oh, God, I can't believe blah, blah, blah. Like. Like, okay, it happened, didn't go as planned, it's unfortunate, like, move on. Uh, That's just how I am. I try to be that way, at least, because uh, I think that's a healthy way to be. Um, But, so what I wrote here was, Happy New Year to everyone, but the New York Jets. And uh, when I wrote it, I was exhausted, because it was Sunday night after working a full Sunday, after being out and up on Saturday night, technically celebrating New Year's, but not really, because not having a good time doing it. Um, And then... Uh, I was furious. I was, and I talked about this on last episode because I really was, I was, I was angry when I was in the studio and this is why I played, um, what I did on last episode. I played me and my father talking because I wanted the emotional raw reaction. I do think that is kind of the best way to go about it when you're talking about your teams. This is why, you know, I think the passion sells. I think, uh, that's part of this is a passion project for me working in sports and talking about sports. Um, it's something that I care about and that comes through like, fake I don't I don't fake it I don't fake being angry I don't fake being upset so when when I'm passionate about something and when I feel some kind of way um that's real and so that's why I had to play that because now a few days later uh I can talk maybe more logically about what happened with this Jets and what happened in this Jets season um but uh, in the moment I was furious and a few days later and everything that transpired since then it feels like oh well it's all meaningless anyway but at the end of the day this is a sports podcast. I, I'm not going to pretend just because there's real life. I can separate real life from sport, but I'm not going to pretend I don't care about the sports and I'm not upset at what I saw from the Jets over the last few weeks. Um, and it started really on Thursday night after Thursday night against the Jags. And I talked about that obviously a couple episodes ago, everything that went down against the Jaguars on that Thursday night in that game. Um, and then the whole weekend I'm devastated. And then it gets to Sunday and Saturday and everything went the Jets way. Mike White comes back. The Jets had the perfect Saturday and Sunday. The teams they needed to win won. The teams they needed to lose lost. And then you get to Sunday, and it's like Mike White. And as you get closer to this game, I was so excited. But then as the game gets closer, you just get this sick feeling like you already know what's about to happen. And I was on the air talking uh, to Drew Forrester at about, I guess, 4 p.m. right before the Jets game started. I was on the air, and Drew's like, Rami over there has that look on his face like he already knows the final score is going to be 20 to 10 and the Jets are going to be knocked out of the playoffs. And he said that and I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, oh, this guy, this guy could see it on my face. And I talked about it with my father on last episode. And if you didn't listen, if you like 
if you want to drink Jets fans tears, it is hilarious to go back and listen to me and my father talking. Obviously, we do have a great bond when it comes to sports, but in general in life. And uh, there's obviously a natural chemistry there uh, in our conversation. You could hear it. It's kind of cool. If you talk about like sometimes with radio partners or TV broadcast partners, like it takes a time to develop that chemistry. Well, the reason I'm a sports fan, the reason I'm into sports media and sports talk in general is because of my father um, and the relationship I have with him. And so it's so natural for us to kind of talk about sports in that way. Um, and it was it was kind of funny to listen back to, for me to listen back to, I've listened back to it like four or five times at this point. Um, and, and he has too. So um, it's kind of funny that way. But um, as we talked about together, um, we talked about how we want to watch the game together. And I was going to get off the air at five. And I didn't have to be back in the studio till seven. So I was like, that's perfect. That's a great window. We'll watch the second half of the game together. Perfect. Um, I live pretty close to the studio. And by the time five o'clock rolled around and really before that, I mean, five minutes into the game, you were like, oh, this game is over. Like you already knew. Like it was the same as the Jets game in Buffalo in 2015. We're five minutes in really on the first play. The first play is a 60 yard run for the Seattle Seahawks. And you're like, oh, okay. This is what's happening because this is what the Jets do. And I don't know why I was excited. I don't know why I expected anything else. Mike White looked awful. The performance was nauseating. It was infuriating. There were bad mental errors. The team wasn't up for the game. The team wasn't ready. How many times does a team, and it's a franchise thing. I always talk about the DNA of the franchise. How can you have a team that's not up for a game that if they win, they continue their playoff hopes and they continue their playoff hopes alive and you basically have a win in your end playoff game in week 18? How do you not get up for a game that's forcing a playoff game? It's essentially to get into the playoffs. That was the Seattle game was to get in. And shout out Rob Taub. He predicted that, that the Seattle game was going to be the game that determines the playoffs. I was giving the Jets too much credit. I thought they'd get to Miami still with a playoff chance on the line. No, they didn't make it that far. Unless some reason the NFL decides to turn around and actually do add the eighth team to each playoffs, which they won't do. I think ultimately the NFL does want to do that in the future. Kind of make it like the NBA. Everyone gets in. Yeah, add an 18th game, add eight teams to each playoffs. But we already see what the seventh seed looks like. The seventh seed is going to be either the Patriots, who stink, or the Steelers, who stunk most of the year and are finally coming on. So I don't think the NFL necessarily wants to add more bad teams to the playoffs, but they probably will because it means more money and more revenue and everything. We know all about all that. But the Jets come into a game that's essentially with the playoffs on the line, not essentially, it was a game with the playoffs on the line against a team that was really reeling in the Seattle Seahawks and the defense, which is supposed to be the strength of the team is totally shot to hell in the first quarter on the first couple of drives. They're making bad mental errors. They're dropping passes. They're having penalties, dumb penalties, mental mistakes. And I'm sorry, that's entirely on coaching. And there's zero excuses anymore for this coaching staff. We talked about it earlier in the season. We talked about the flaws of the coaching staff being covered up by winning. And we said the downfalls, the pitfalls of of winning covering up mistakes. We said it's great that they're winning. Let's enjoy the fact that they're winning. But this will come back to get them later in the season. And we were 100% correct. It's come back to haunt them later in the season. And it didn't even make it to the playoffs before it haunted them because they didn't make it to the playoffs because this coaching staff failed them. And so when we talked about drops, we talked about false starts, we talked about misuse of timeouts, and we talked about clock management, 
all those things we talked about when we talked about Salah's obsessive love for his players to a fault. And I'm talking about Braden Mann in particular right here. All those things that we talked about we knew would come back to haunt the Jets later in the season, and it did. And I think a lot of this, a lot of what's happened, a lot of what's transpired is on Robert Sala. And maybe when we look back on the season, you could think of the season as a success in a few weeks from now. But expectations change when you're 6-3 and three and 7-4. and four, You expect this team to go ahead and actually make a serious run. And they had chances. They had chances in the Minnesota game. They had chances in the Detroit game. They had chances in the Jacksonville game and now the Seattle game. And I know they also had chances in the Bills game, but I'm not even going to include that second Bills game because maybe you don't expect to go to Orchard Park and win. But Minnesota, Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, you couldn't win one of those games? All extremely winnable games to make the playoffs? Like I said, Seattle was on a downward spiral. And the Jets elevated them. All of a sudden, Seattle looked like the team that they were a few weeks ago. And it started from the very first snap. Geno Smith was fantastic. He now has more touchdowns this year than he had in his entire four years with the Jets. And by the way, he still ain't writing back. He's 3-0 in revenge games this year. Thank you, Stone. Shout out, buddy. Back-to-back podcast with a shout out to Stone. He's a friend of mine. Um, and we uh, he's he works on uh, The Fan. He's a great producer here at The Fan in Baltimore. And he told me that, that he's 3-0. He gave me that stat because Geno beat... The Chargers this year, his former team, the Jets this year, and the Giants this year, all his former teams. And it's the all-time greatest trade Seattle has ever made when you look at it from their perspective. Not only do they dump Russ, not have to pay Russ all that money and get draft picks back, they were better this year because of how bad Russ was. They were better with Geno Smith. And Geno Smith was not cocky about it. He was mature. They asked him after the game about you know beating the Jets and what that meant to him. And he's just like, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to do my thing. And for all the people who are going to turn around and now say, oh, look, he had that huge long embrace with Zach Wilson after the game. He's probably telling him, get a-. shut up. Like all the people who say that the, it's New York that ruins the quarterbacks. We've seen Zach Wilson play. Zach Wilson's mom, it's not New York's fault. Your son's bad at football. And for everyone who thinks, oh, the Jets ruined quarterbacks, look at what Geno Smith was able to do. Geno Smith, it took him 10 years. It took him the Giants. It took him the, the Chargers. It took him 10 years to get to this point that he's a competent NFL quarterback. That's not on the Jets. Some guys, it takes a little longer. That's not on the Jets. And for the Sam Darnold defenders, and I like Sam Darnold. I like what I've seen from him. Still in the most crucial spot when he had a chance to drive to tie the game. He gets a a sack strip fumble inside his own 20, and it essentially ends the game right there. Sam Darnold's the same guy he was in New York. He's the same guy now in Carolina. He's hurt half the season, plays well enough, and at the end kind of blows in. Maybe he'll develop a little bit more. But to say that it's New York's fault, and I see freaking Jamal Adams trolling and and writing so many things on Twitter. Oh my God, Jamal Adams, really? You're going to come out of the woodworks and talk now? Guess what? Jamal Adams has never been on a team that's won anything, and this Seattle team has been better without him. Finally, now they're winning because he's not even playing. So give me a break, Jamal Adams. But when we do talk about the Jets quarterbacks, Mike White was awful. We got the answer on him. Maybe it's not the answer we wanted. Unfortunately, he's only had seven career starts, but he can't stay healthy. He was a healthy scratch, by the way, today again, or limited in practice, I should say, again, today on Thursday. So he might not even play the last game of the season in Miami, so he can't stay healthy. And he's not a particularly good quarterback either. He was awful in this game. He had opportunities also in the Minnesota game that he didn't come through on. He just hasn't been good enough. And so now where do you go from here? You have no QB, 
So you came into the season, you talk about success, right? Winning seven games. Is that success though? Define success. How's that successful? When the two most important pillars of the franchise, my father was making fun of me about this, that the pillars of the franchise is the quarterback and the head coach. You know the answer on the quarterback. Are you really still unsure about the head coach? And the question becomes like, there's a lot of talent on this roster. We learned that the GM that you have is probably the guy. But the things you need most are the head coach and the quarterback. And if you don't have that and you know that you don't have the answer at quarterback, that's better than not knowing. But you know that you don't have the answer at quarterback. So that's, that's a good thing. That's a positive that you can take out of the season. But is there any other positive that you can take out of the season? I don't think so. And I think Robert Sala is coaching for his job in Miami this Sunday. I think if the Jets win, okay, then you can talk to me. He didn't lose the room. They're playing for him. They like him. And by the way, they're going to be playing against Mike Lennon, so I hope they can win. They're still two-point underdogs. But you think about some of the wins that the Jets had this year. We talked about this defense. The defense had a major turnaround. That was a big credit to Robert Sala, right? Well, there's a late collapse by Cleveland. That's one Jets win. They had the crazy comeback against Pittsburgh. That's another Jets win. They beat Skylar Thompson for Miami. That's a third Jets win. They beat Denver, an awful Denver team, when Denver was playing at their worst and Russell Wilson. They beat Green Bay when Green Bay was playing at their worst and Aaron Rodgers. And they beat a terrible Chicago team. Those are six wins. And then their seventh win, I'll give them credit for this one. They had a hell of a defensive game against Buffalo and they beat Buffalo. Josh Allen had a couple turnovers in the red zone that helped them. And that was led by the defense. So you want to talk about the defense? I think the defense was overrated. I don't think they were as good as people like to make them out to be. I think they were really good. But when your whole trust in Robert Sala is because this defense took a massive jump, did they really take a massive jump when those are their seven wins? Like, in all those seven wins, they overcame bad coaching. That was the one constant. That's what we always talked about. The theme across all seven wins was that they overcame bad coaching and bad coaching mistakes in order to win those games. So if they have to overcome bad coaching to win, then is the coaching really doing a great job? Like I said, the talent is there. The GM, he's the right guy. But I'm not sold on this head coach. And we'll see on Sunday. If we get to a scenario where it's a Santonio Holmes type of situation, like we saw a bunch of years ago, where he turned his back on the team the last game of the season in Miami, or it's a scenario like the Victor Cruz 99-yard game, or it's a scenario like the game in Buffalo, where the team wasn't ready to play in the most important game of the season. And we've already seen that they weren't ready to play the most important game of the season. Now it's the question is, has he lost the room? Are they already thinking about their vacation in Cabo? Now is the question. And if this team doesn't come out and play for this head coach, play like hell for this head coach and win a game for this head coach, then I think you have the answer about the head coach. Somebody said to me, a friend tonight said to me, and it reminded me of something that Steve Bashotti, the owner of the uh, Ravens, said a few years ago. Somebody said, well, you could bring back Salah, and maybe LaFleur is the sacrificial lamb because there are definitely rumors, and this is out there, this is not just rumors, but this is fact, that Woody Johnson did not hire Robert Sala. He's not very happy with Robert Sala. And Robert Sala's blind loyalty to his guys, Mike LaFleur being one of them, maybe Mike he'll say, I don't want to fire Mike LaFleur, and then Woody Johnson will just fire Sala because Sala's not willing to fire Mike LaFleur, and that answers that question pretty simply. But Woody's not particularly happy with Sala. So at the very least, he's going to make Mike LaFleur the sacrificial lamb. 
But if they fire LaFleur and they decide to bring Salah back for one more season, which I think is very possible because I do think they're not going to make a lateral move. They're not going to fire Salah for Mike McDaniel, which I would love, but I don't think that's going to happen. They're not going to fire Robert Salah and bring in Eric Bieniemy. It's just not going to happen. If they can figure out somehow a way to pry Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan, if they can figure out a way to get Sean Payton in there, which Bill Simmons said, Sean Payton and Tom Brady, I think that's the perfect destination for Miami. I think those guys will both end up in Miami. And I hope maybe you get Mike McDaniel as the OC in New York. If Salah's still here, you bring in Mike McDaniel as the OC. I love Mike McDaniel. The question is, I think within a year or two, he'll be out for a head coach job somewhere else. So we'll see how that works out. But let's say you do give Robert Sala an extra chance. Somebody said to me, well, it would be playoffs or bust. You're tiring him, telling him that you have to make the playoffs or you're out of the job. And Steve Bishotti said this when he brought back Jim Harbaugh, or John Harbaugh, I should say, a few years ago in 2018. It was after the terrible season before they drafted Lamar, and it was after the really bad season uh, where Joe Flacco was hurt. And they asked him, does John Harbaugh have a playoff or bust uh, or playoff or he's fired, essentially, target on his back going into the season in 2018. And he said, no. Because if I told him he has to make the playoffs to keep his job, then I would have fired him already. Because I'm, I'm essentially saying that you're not the guy for the job. Just if you make the playoffs and somehow shock me, then I, can, I have to keep you around. So if you have a playoff or bust, if you're giving an ultimatum to a coach that's playoff or bust, don't you already know that that's not your guy? Think about what Robert Sala's strengths are. His strengths are defense and motivating the guys. Well, in the last two weeks, the defense gave up over 200 yards in the first quarters in the first half of that game, and they weren't ready to play. They weren't fired up for the game, so he wasn't firing up his guys. So if those are his best two qualities and he can't do that, what is he capable of doing? And if after two years, because this is a big topic, it's, oh, you don't want to be that known as a franchise that's shuffling in and out of head coaches every two years. But if you don't think you have your answer after two years, don't you already have the answer? We see this on the other side across town with the Giants. This is the biggest indictment on Robert Sala. Robert Sala who's telling people, oh, it's an instant coffee era. Everyone wants answers now. Well, guess what? With a far less talented roster on the other side of town in New York, Brian Dable, look what he's done. He brought the team to the playoffs in year one. So you're right, Robert Sala. It's not instant coffee. But sometimes when you know, you know. And just like with Brian Dable, it's so clear and obvious that he is the guy. The fact that we're unsure about you after two years kind of tells me that you're not the guy, that we already do have that answer. I don't know why I'm a sports fan. They just frustrate me. This is a week later, and I'm still frustrated because I don't expect them to get it right in the offseason either because this team has never shown me that they will get it right. Um... Speaking of the Giants, and I don't know how many Giants fans listen to this because I do try and portray myself as a New York-centric podcast. Um, So I I try and speak to the Giant fans as well. Um, By the way, last episode was my longest episode ever, an hour and 40 minutes, and this episode looks like it's going to be extremely long as well. So buckle up. We also have picks at the end of this episode. So don't you go anywhere. I'd like to listen on one and a half, sometimes even 1.8, 1.75, two times speed. Get a little frisky. But um, I don't know if you're listening on one time speed. Again, I appreciate you listening. Bear with me. I think it's good content. Enjoy. And if you didn't listen to the end of the last episode, you just missed out on a ton of great basketball content. It'll still be relevant for a while. So you can listen to all that great basketball stuff. Um, 
but I want to talk about the New York Giants and as bad of a season as the Jets had down the stretch. What a season for the New York Giants. What a job by Brian Dable. Just, I mean, incredibly remarkable stuff when you talk about a guy in his first year coming to a team that you didn't expect that they had the talent. Think about what we were talking about with this team at the beginning of the year. Well, it's just, let's see what they can get in trade value for Saquon Barkley. Let's just ride out a string with Daniel Jones before letting him walk. And we knew we're rebuilding this entire roster. There's no talent at the skill position players. Let's try and get a high draft pick. And all of that flips. Daniel Jones, you now have essentially the quarterback of the future. And if I'm the Jets, I'd look to bring him in also. He earned himself a contract. He looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league this year. By the time it got to the end of the season, how good he looked. And I talked about seeing him in person and how impressed I was with him. We obviously know Dable pulled him in by the face mask earlier in the season. And was like, you're never going to throw a stupid pick like that again. And guess what? Daniel Jones listened. He hasn't thrown a stupid pick like that since. So there's credit to the coaching, credit to Brian Dable. Um, and, and this last game, what Daniel Jones was able to do, they were 19, he was 19 to 24, 177 yards passing, two touchdowns, no picks. He ran the ball 11 times for 91 yards and two touchdowns. They respond to Dable. They love Dable. They respond to Daniel Jones. They love Daniel Jones. They beat the Indianapolis Colts 38 to 10. Um, the Giants ended their NFL-long streak of 43 consecutive games without scoring 30 points. They had not scored 30 points since October 11th of 2020 in a game which they lost, and they hadn't scored 30 points in a game that they won since an overtime game when they beat Washington 41-35 to in 2019. So incredible uh, job by the Giants to come back and win um, against the Indianapolis Colts make a statement win. They're going to be in the playoffs. Uh, I, I think they can rest all their starters against Philly. They're 14-point dogs. A little, uh, uh, just, I guess, spoiler alert for later in the episode, they're 14-point dogs. Probably because the game doesn't matter. The, ma- the game matters a lot for Philly because they have to still get the number one seed. The game does not matter at all for the Giants. And congrats to them. They're going to have a playoff game either against, most likely against Minnesota. You think they can't go into Minnesota and beat Minnesota? And then San Francisco, they could beat Minnesota. We don't know what San Francisco is going to look like in the playoffs with Brock Purdy. Like, yes, it's looked great with him in the regular season, and he's answered every question we've had till now. Even in a game, we we never had to see him come from behind in a game like he had to do against Las Vegas, and he did that too. So, like, yeah, we've seen a ton of really impressive things from Brock Purdy. I'll, I'll be honest. But still, the playoffs are a different animal. So we'll see what happens with that. You're going to tell me that they can beat the combination of Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy in the playoffs. Like this has been the entire season for the Giants. So classic where it's like every game. Yes, they had the easiest schedule in the NFL, but like every game felt like, yeah, they'll, they'll find a way somehow to win the game. They'll find a way somehow to win this game. I don't know. They're getting lucky. They're getting, they're catching a team at the right time, but they could do that and ride that straight to a Super Bowl. Green Bay, who's turned their season around lately. I don't know. Who knows? By the way, side note, the Kayvon Thibodeau thing is hilarious. Somebody said it looked like a Madden glitch where he's doing snow angels as the guy's writhing in pain. It was Nick Foles. And by the way, Nick Foles, this just tells you the fact that he's playing in this game. He does not look like an NFL quarterback anymore. Just tells you the uh, the owners running the franchise, uh, which I think we knew there. But who's milked uh, a one-month stretch, a one-month run better than Nick Foles? And if I were him, I wouldn't even be playing right now. I'd be like, yeah, no, no, no. I'm going to be the backup. I'm going to keep making the money, but I don't want this image of me looking like a terrible quarterback out there. 
Um, so that's that. All right, let's talk about the rest of the NFC. Uh, like I said, congrats to the Giants on the playoffs. And I don't even hate the Giants anymore. I'll be rooting for them in the playoffs, honestly. Let's talk about the NFC Detroit. That was an impressive win on Sunday from Detroit. Uh, I thought they needed it because I thought they needed a statement game where it's like, yeah, everyone thought it would be high scoring. Everyone thought, you know, Detroit maybe might pull it out at the end, but it's high scoring. No, they came out and they dominated a team that they're much better than. They came out hungry. Um, and by the way, uh, Justin Fields, like, really? Like, he's he can't throw the ball. This is what I've been saying all year. He can run all over the place and be impressive when he runs. He's not a great thrower of the football but credit to the defense credit to Jared Goff who's been awesome all year career year he's going to get paid also he has I think a maybe a mutual opt-out or something like that and um and Dan Campbell really great job they come out they crush uh the Chicago Bears 41 to 10 coming off a loss against Carolina that was an impressive that's what you expect from a team that actually cares that actually fights like they came off a devastating loss and they came right back and crushed a division opponent a team that's talented uh obviously not very good but has at least the, the offensive ability to put up points we saw that and yet they came out and they crushed them 41 to 10 good job dan campbell good job detroit lions of course because they lost to carolina it's still they don't have the playoffs in their own hands by the time they play on sunday night football they're gonna know uh whether they can make the playoffs or not because if seattle wins against la detroit will already be eliminated from the playoffs unfortunately uh, and then it'll just be They'll get to play spoiler for the Packers, at least. I think if Seattle wins, and this is kind of funny, I don't know if you feel the same way. If Seattle wins, all of a sudden I'd give Detroit a higher chance of beating the Packers because then it's like playing spoiler is not as much pressure as playing a win and you're in playoff game. I don't know if that made sense. New Orleans and Philly played against each other, and Philly takes another injury in the trenches. Um, Josh Sweat is the one who goes down. Um, by the way, Hurts, MVP. Like, they can't win without him. So, Jalen Hurts, MVP, I think it's confirmed. Sirianni, coach of the year, though, that stock kind of drops. And now they have a game that really matters. They lose they lose 20 to 10. Uh, the game didn't matter for New Orleans because Tampa won. We'll get to Tampa a little bit later. And the Sirianni, the seesaw, or I guess like the, the, the wave he's been on where he was hated after his first press conference, then he's loved, and then he's hated again, and now he's coach of the year. But now is he coach of the year? I mean, they lost a couple of games, two really big games that they needed to win. Um, so that's been a roller coaster ride for Nick Sirianni uh, in Philadelphia. But now, because of that, they have to play all their top dogs against the Giants, at least for a half if the Giants, depending on what the Giants do, because uh, Dable has not given an indication one way or another what he's going to do. Um, they have to play because of their loss. They're going to have to play um, for the one seed on Sunday. Washington. Deshaun Watson was trying to throw this game away, um, but so was Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz just did a better job. And it made no sense to start Carson Wentz until you learn after the game that Ron Rivera didn't know that the team could be eliminated. That was crazy. That's one of the craziest things I've heard. That's a fireable offense if you're Ron Rivera. Maybe he's looking at uh, the Carolina job and saying, yeah, Sam Darnold doesn't look that bad. Two running backs like I had back in the old day in Carolina. Maybe I could go back there and get that job back because it makes no sense to start Carson Wentz with your playoff hopes on the line. And after the game, they asked him and they said, does that change who you're going to start? And they're going to start, uh, I forget, Sam Howell, I think is his name, who they're going to start on Sunday. So obviously... Um, I guess they would have started Taylor Heineke. It was a pretty cool story, actually. Taylor Heineke said, oh, I don't need the start. Give Sam Howell the start. Give him an opportunity in the NFL. The game means nothing. I'll still have a job in the NFL somewhere down the road. Uh, really cool gesture. 
uh, by Taylor Heineke, who's just an all-time awesome dude. But again, like I said, how do you not know? And if you didn't know, uh, like starting Carson Wentz, if you did know, I should say, makes zero sense. He throws three interceptions, no fumbles. So congrats to Carson Wentz. He didn't fumble at all. He usually throws in a couple of fumbles also. But Cleveland wins 24-10. to 10. Green Bay. I had Green Bay minus uh, eight and a half in this game because I thought they'd blow out Minnesota, but I had it parlayed with the under 54 and a half. I think I, yeah, I, I extended it, meaning I bought a few points, made it under 54 and a half, but a late score by Nick Mullins late in the game with 30 seconds left, pushed it to over 54 and a half. The final score is Green Bay 41, Minnesota 17. And this is what we said all along when you count out Green Bay, and you just have Aaron Rodgers with this stupid little smirk on his face, and I love it. I'm eating it all up. Do I still trust them? I don't know, but <laughs> I mean, I'm eating it all up. You have two legitimate receivers now with Watson and Dobbs. These guys look legit. Both running backs, Dylan and Jones, look healthy, and Aaron Rodgers is in that FU mode kind of where he's like, well, we were 4-8, and eight and people were counting us out, and then we were 5-8, and eight and people were counting us out, and then 6-8. and eight. Well, what do you want now? Now we have a win in your in playoff game. And you have it. Sunday night football, all you have to do is beat the Lions at home. And yet I still don't trust this Packers team. They're minus four and a half. We'll get to that when we do the picks. Uh, it would be funny if Rodgers, in front of the Lambeau crowd, lost that game and then just flipped the bird to the Packer fans like, eh, I'm out. I'm asking for a trade now. But we'll see what happens. And now we get to Tampa Bay. After all Tom Brady has been through, and this was another thing we talked about on the air because we were watching the end of this game live, me and Drew Forrester on Sunday, when Drew was hosting, after all Tom Brady has been through in his career, and particularly this season, him retiring, him coming back, him getting clowned on social media, his wife leaving him, the divorce, the whole thing. After all of that, the team looking awful, him having these late game comebacks where people were like, ah, the defense kept him in it. He looked awful. And then he had one drive at the end. This was a game where the defense didn't really keep him in it. Sam Darnold looked great. Like I said, he had that one late blunder, but he had three touchdowns in this game, threw 340 yards. Darnold looked pretty good, and Brady was awesome. Brady got into this mode the second half of this game. I was just like, I'm going to take this team back. I'm going to do whatever it takes. The long passes to Mike Evans at 45 years old, he's throwing deep balls like that to Mike Evans. This is his 14th career 400-plus yard game. And he's thrown more passes than anyone in the league by far. And what Drew said was this might have been one of Brady's most impressive wins in his entire career, considering all the circumstances, his age, his the circumstances of the season, the way people have talked about him in the media, everything that has happened, everything that has transpired, it made this win so special for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. By the way, there are only six instances where somebody has thrown for over 400 yards in the game over the age of 40. And Tom Brady has four of those games. He's done it four times. So Tom Brady continues to impress. He has no O-line. He has no special teams. The special teams blunders. And we talked about him. We're going to talk about it a little bit later when we talk about the AFC and we talk about Bill Belichick. Like, we've seen mistakes in New England that we've never seen before with Bill Belichick teams. But also, Tom Brady's had to deal with Bad coaching, bad offensive line, bad running game, bad special teams, bad everything that he's never had to deal with before in Tampa Bay. And it just like, maybe they were best for each other, Bill and Tom. But Tom, again, and Bill also, because they're probably going to make the playoffs, but Tom, again, pulled through. This team's going to make the playoffs. And oh, their offensive line is getting a little healthier. 
It looks like he has more chemistry with the receivers. He's hanging in there a little bit longer. We talked about that earlier in the year where he's kind of bailing on some of those plays. He's hanging in there a little bit longer to make the throws. And now the offensive line is coming back a little bit. I don't know. Can they go on a run again? They won the South. He'll probably rest this last game of the season. Maybe he'll play the first half of the game. But, I mean, isn't it just heading in that direction again where we're just going to have a Brady-Rogers NFC Championship game? Aren't we just headed right in that direction? Somebody pointed out that Rodgers actually does better in the playoffs historically when he's not the favorite to win, when he's like kind of the underdog, when it's like, oh, yeah, we've been counting Rodgers out. They're kind of backdoor sneaking into the playoffs. That's when he goes on the run. Well, Tom Brady, he's going to have a home playoff game. Can he win a couple of games and get to the NFC Championship game? We talked about this already. Like, who do you really love in the playoffs this year? Do you love... What's happening in Philly with all the injuries and all we've seen lately and the way they've fallen apart. We know earlier in the year they had the best turnover differential. They had the least injuries. And now they have one of the worst turnover differentials. And they have the most injuries. Who knows if Jalen Hurts is fully healthy? I don't know. Do you trust a seventh-round rookie QB out in San Francisco to come up big in the playoffs? Do you trust that defense after what happened? And we'll talk about that game a little bit later. I don't know. Do you trust Minnesota and Kirk Cousins? Yeah, they're 12 and 4, but do you trust their negative point differential? <laughs> Everyone's talking about it all year. Do you really trust Kirk in the playoffs? Do you trust McCarthy and Dak? You can tell me that the Giants are going to go on a run. Who better? Who else? But Rodgers and Brady. And I know Rodgers might not even get in. I've floated that out there. But if he gets in, that's the team that no one wants to play. This defense has looked legit. This defense is turning teams over. They can control the game on the ground. And Rodgers is in one of those groups. He's in one of those modes. I don't know. I wouldn't want to play Green Bay if I was an NFC team. I wouldn't want to have to go to Tampa Bay to play Tom Brady either. Not with the way he's proven that he's in every game. So here are the scenarios. Um, Like I said, the final seed is between Green Bay, Detroit, and Seattle. If Seattle wins, they have a chance. If Seattle wins, they play on Sunday. They have a chance. Uh, They play against the LA Rams. They're all playing it. They're playing earlier, actually, because they play, I think, at 425. And then Green Bay and Detroit play the Sunday night football game. And if Seattle wins, then Detroit's already eliminated. But if Seattle loses to LA, then it's a win and you're in. Winner wins and goes to the playoffs, and the loser goes home for Green Bay and Detroit. Seattle would need to win, and they would need a Detroit win in order to make the playoffs themselves. So if Seattle wins, they'd be rooting for Detroit to spoil it for the Packers. As far as the one seed, Dallas can still get the one seed. Philly is currently the one seed. Minnesota can still get the one seed as well. So Philly needs to beat the Giants, uh, and those three games are going to be played at the same time as well. In the AFC, obviously the Jets were eliminated, like we talked about it. Uh, There's one seed remaining. It's between Miami, New England, and Pittsburgh. So Miami and New England played against each other. New England won against Skylar Thompson. Uh, And the Pats are going to pat. We talked about this. It doesn't look the same. The coaching's bad. The quarterback's not great. You have Patricia and Belichick calling the offense. But Miami, the year from hell from them. They go from 8-3 and to now 8-8. and I still believe Mike McDaniel is really good, but he's exactly the type of personality that when all is going good, it's going great. 
And when it's going bad, it's awful. He made a joke about Mike Lennon, who's starting this week. He's like, yeah, I kind of got a guy that kind of, you know, looks like me a little bit. So maybe I, <laughs> we can relate a little bit. Nobody laughed. Those are the types of jokes that you laugh at in August. Those are the type of jokes you laughed at in November when the team was eight and three. But now it's not as funny anymore. Uh, the team's eight and eight, and they have a crazy owner. I think he might want to get rid of, want to get rid of McDaniel. I talked about this with my father already. He's going to be looking for a scapegoat with the whole Tua concussion situation. I wouldn't be shocked if he just canned uh, Mike McDaniel. I think that is the number one situation for Brady and Sean Payton because I think Tom Brady, I think they've already tampered with him twice. So we know that they want Brady and Sean Payton and Brady, I think, would end up going somewhere together. Brady doesn't have to move very far. He wants to stay on the East Coast. I don't think it's a realistic option for him to go to Mike McDaniel. I don't think that's, or not Mike McDaniel, Josh McDaniels in um, Vegas. I don't think he likes Vegas enough to go out to Las Vegas. Um, I don't think he likes that team enough, I should say. San Francisco already has three quarterbacks. They don't want a fourth. I think the most realistic option, if you ask me, is Miami for Tom Brady. He has two excellent receivers there. Uh, and it's the type of destination they can be like, yeah, let's bring Sean Payton in. Um, Bill Simmons did mention the Jets for Sean Payton and Tom Brady. So I'm not, you know, whatever. But that would be the greatest fizzle ever of a head coach. Come in as the hotshot new head coach. And I believe in uh, Mike McDaniel. I, I truly do believe that he, whether he's the offensive coordinator or he's the head coach, I would love to bring him into the Jets. Um, but we'll see what happens. And by the way, for the Patriots, look at them. Um, they talk about this in sports, in all sports. Whenever the guy gets too much power, when he becomes the the general manager and the head coach, it never, ever works. And it ends up causing a severed relationship with the ownership and it ends up ruining the product on the field. It's happened in New England. The fact that they spend more money than any other team on the in the NFL on wide receivers and tight ends, and this is their wide receiver and tight end class, the fact that they drafted that position so many times, the fact that their second-year quarterback took a major step back and is at odds with Joe Judge and Matt Patricia and Steve Belichick who are like calling, it's just not working. The team looks undisciplined and un- not well-coached. They still have an incredible defense. They still have the best chance of making the playoffs because if they win, they're in. If they lose, however, to the Bills on Sunday, and we'll talk about the scenarios right now because why not? If they lose to the Bills, uh, they would need both Miami to lose and they would need Pittsburgh to lose. Now, if they lose to the Bills and Miami wins, Miami would be in the playoffs. If Miami and New England both lose and Pittsburgh wins, Pittsburgh would be the team that makes the playoffs that last wild card spot after they beat Baltimore and just a classic Sunday night football game. It's just boring, bad football. Like I talked about, it's like it feels like a job to watch the Ravens play every week. The biggest play of the game was a penalty at the end of the first half for most of the game. Then Kenny Pickett on that last drive was insane. And that little flash, that one drive from Kenny Pickett is what tells you, oh wait, Pittsburgh's never bad. This is it. They're going to have this great quarterback with these two young running backs, Warren and Harris, who are great. These two young wide receivers with Pickens and Johnson, who are great. And this team's just never going to be bad because they're incapable. There are some franchises, they don't even need a rebuild. There are some franchises that just like that turn around and go from one Hall of Fame quarterback to another and just keeps going forever because that's how it is. And the Steelers and Mike Tomlin are one of those franchises. And on that, first of all, the two throws before the two-minute warning and the awareness between the two throws, knowing that he didn't have to call a timeout, that he had the time, the perfect making the perfect plays with full awareness of the field and the clock and all those things, that's just a, like you would never see Zach Wilson make that play. You never see young quarterbacks make that play. You never see Mac Jones have that awareness and that composure. He was calm the whole drive. 
He was never panicked. And that last play, avoiding the sack and throwing that throw with Patrick Queen, who's been the defensive player of the year for the Ravens and maybe the team MVP for the Ravens all over Najee Harris. And Chris Collinsworth said this. It's a cliche that people say a lot, but he's like, oh my God, if that's Patrick Mahomes, we're putting him in the Hall of Fame. And he's right though. Yeah, I know it's cliche. I know everyone says it all the time, but he's right. It was an incredible play by Kenny Pickett. It was really impressive. Um, And look, the Ravens, this is how they win games. They win games ugly. So to say that the Ravens lost this game and, oh, it's a bad sign for the Ravens, I don't think so. The only time the Ravens actually won games in a a real dominant way was the year Lamar won MVP. So Pittsburgh, I mean, what do you expect? They go into the last week of the season with a playoff spot on the line. And the streak of winning seasons, which everyone thought was going to be over, is alive again for Mike Tomlin. He has a chance to go 9-8 and eight and have another winning season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And of course, the other playoff spot is Jacksonville and Tennessee. Jacksonville did blow out Houston on Sunday. So, I mean, impressive by them. But they have to play Tennessee now. And Josh Dobbs, we're going to get to see Josh Dobbs consecutive weeks in prime time, he was on Thursday Night Football, but now on Saturday is when that game is going to be played. Saturday night for the division. The winner makes the playoffs and the loser goes home. And then, like I said, San Francisco and Las Vegas. Las Vegas was eliminated because they lost to San Francisco. But Devontae Adams, uh, who cried so much. And by the way, here's what Devontae Adams had to say about Derek Carr. Uh, he was super angry about Derek Carr not being the quarterback and how he has Derek Carr's back and he's only in Las Vegas for Derek Carr. Well, here's what he said. Obviously, I don't think anybody was excited about it in here. Um, you know, him being one of one of my really good friends and, you know, the reason why I came here in the first place. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here right now if he wasn't, the, you know, if he wasn't here. So um, I think everybody knows how I feel about him. And, and you know, with that said, there's a uh, there's a process of how things go, and I'm not going to sit here and, and go on and on, but obviously I support my guy, and, um, you know, I, you know, we, we got to finish the season out, you know, the best way we can possible with, you know, all things considered at this point. But, uh, yeah, any, anything else that you guys got, you can you can leave that for, for Coach or, or Derek. Well, maybe he wasn't that worked up about Derek Carr not being there anymore after all because he went out and had a career game, had the best game of his season. Um, He had seven catches, 153 yards, and two touchdowns. But San Francisco does come back and win an OT. Brock Purdy brought this team back. The one thing that's kind of interesting is this defense. The San Francisco defense has been one of the best defenses in the league. All of a sudden, they look human, right? And so is that an indictment on Derek Carr? Like, I think so. Like, Derek Carr should be, if you're a team that's looking for a quarterback, and the Jets will probably end up with him, I just know how this works. If you're a team that's looking for a quarterback, how do you look at Derek Carr and say, oh, I want that guy? After Jared Stidham just went out, and in the same offense that Derek Carr was playing terribly in, Jared Stidham just went out and did that to San Francisco's defense. I don't know. I would stay far, far away from Derek Carr. But I'm not the New York Jets, so I can't tell you. Um... As far as Josh McDaniels, like we talked about this with Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, like who was more at fault, Hackett or Wilson, right? And I think it's an equal combination of both. Obviously, Hackett didn't seem like a great coach, but Wilson definitely did not help. Um, but in Vegas, no one was asking that question. In Vegas, everyone just assumed Josh McDaniels was an awful head coach. Well, he gets one opportunity with Jared Stidham, and all of a sudden he's a great head coach. Like, how does that work? Like, I know they lost the game at the end, 
But at the same time, this is as competitive as they've been in any game and as good as the offense has looked in any game this season. And all he had to do was take Derek Carr out of the offense and replace him with Jared Stidham. Who knew? Um, so that's just takeaways from that game. Um, like I said, obviously we know what happened on Monday Night Football with Buffalo and Cincinnati. So that's a no contest. So with that, uh, that's the playoff scenarios. And I'll just run through them again real quick. What can happen this weekend? Obviously, in the NFC, the seeding matters. Who's going to get the one seed? If Philly wins, they have it. Otherwise, if they don't win, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that can happen with Detroit and Minnesota and all that. Not Detroit. I said Detroit. Obviously, not Detroit. Uh, With Dallas and Minnesota. Um, Speaking of Detroit, they need a Seattle loss. And they beat the Packers to get in. If Seattle does win then that Sunday night football game becomes a spoiler game for Detroit where the Packers can still win and you're in the playoffs. But for the Detroit Lions, a Seattle win would mean that they are officially eliminated. For the Packers, all they need to do is win and they're in. For Seattle, like I said, they need to win and hope that the Packers lose to get in. That's in the NFC. Over in the AFC, if Miami wins and New England loses, Miami will be in the playoffs. If New England wins and Miami loses, Miami, or New England, I should say, will be in the playoffs. And if both Miami and New England, if they both lose and Pittsburgh wins, Pittsburgh will be in the playoffs. Kansas City, all they have to do is win, and they are the one seed. If they lose, it becomes super complicated because, uh, obviously, Cincinnati and Buffalo have one less game than everyone else. And Baltimore, I'm sorry, but you have already lost the NFC or the AFC North. So we'll see. Even if they win, they have already lost the AFC North, but they might get a home playoff game. Uh, if they do win, they could potentially get a home playoff game if they do meet um, Cincinnati in the playoffs. So there's still something to play for. If you're Baltimore, you're not playing for nothing. Um, so there's that aspect of it. All right, we're going to come back with the picks. They're sponsored. So here it is. Today's picks are brought to you by Co 36. You may know that I recently took a job with Fox Sports. What you might not know is I travel around a ton for sports. I travel for my podcast, whether I'm in the studio for the radio station, whether I'm at home working for Fox, whether I'm traveling for sporting events. I want to be comfortable, but I want to look good and look presentable the way I do that. Co 36. This is their branded hoodie. I love it. It's my favorite hoodie. I wear it all the time. It's soft. It's stretchy. It's lightweight. It's comfortable. It is literally the best clothing that I've had. They are the perfect Modern day office wear brand. Um, and if you use the code HOLIDAY10 now, you can get 10% off your first order. There is a link in the description of the episode, and they are the official sponsor of the Rami Lavi podcast pick segment. Again, that's co36co, and then spell out the words 36.com. Go there, visit them today. All right. Thank you, as always. Week 18 picks and I promise you (laughs) these picks will be um, the worst picks I give for the rest of the season because I'm going to put a little bit more time and effort into the playoff picks. But with a lot of these games kind of being unknown, who's going to start, who's going to play, how much they matter, all that stuff. um, I kind of just went with my gut on this one. I got the lines from FanDuel and it starts on Saturday. Don't forget, we have Saturday games this week, Kansas City at Las Vegas. Las Vegas is plus nine and a half at home. The over-under is 51 and a half. I think Las Vegas will cover. I think Kansas City has had a hard time covering. And if they're winning, they're up big in the first half. Maybe they'll take the foot off the gas. Um, I actually think Las Vegas has a chance to win. And like we said, um, 
they actually look pretty good with Stidham out there. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I, I would say adjust the over and adjust the number. Maybe you take Kansas City. Maybe the players take Kansas City. I don't know. Or take Las Vegas. I think adjust that a little bit. Take Las Vegas plus 14 or plus 13 and a half. Think they'll keep it within two scores and adjust the over under to like 54 and take the under. Uh, that should work for you. Uh, I think it's going to be a relatively close game. I think Las Vegas has a chance to win. I don't think there's going to be a ton of points, like 50 points. Sure. Maybe uh, it's like 27 to 23, the final, even if Kansas city does win in this game at times, Kansas city's defenses look good, but at times they, they've looked uh, suspect as well on eight at eight fifteen, I should say on Saturday, uh, Tennessee is at Jacksonville. This is a playoff game. This is for the division, and we get to see Josh Dobbs in a playoff game. Jacksonville is minus six and a half. The over/under is thirty-nine and a half, and I I kind of like that number. I'm going to take Tennessee plus six and a half. I think they cover, and I'll take the under maybe forty-five and a half. Open that up a little bit. Here's the thing about Tennessee: all year long, we've been waiting for the game where it's the, I'm going to get my guys up because I'm one of the best coaches in the league, Mike Rabel game. And Mike Rabel also has Derrick Henry, and they're well-rested because they didn't play. If Derrick Henry goes off early and they get up a score or two and they could just keep Jacksonville down, I think they have a chance to win and make it into the playoffs after everything that transpired this season. If you're a Tennessee fan, I don't even know if you're rooting for that. Maybe you're just rooting for the better draft pick at this point. But um, Jacksonville, yeah, I guess the fa- they're the favorite for a reason. They're minus six and a half. How good they've looked. They've looked like a juggernaut. We know about Doug Peterson. We know about Trevor Lawrence. And I think those two are going to be a combination that's going to be a really good combo coach and quarterback for a long, long time in the NFL. They got it right. Congrats to the Jags. Sucks for the Jets, but congrats to the Jags. But um, I don't know why I bring it back to the Jets. There's no reason to bring it back to the Jets because the Jets will never be good anyway, so it doesn't matter. So why would I Why would I worry about the Jets in this scenario? Why would I even compare them when it was never going to be the case that the Jets would be good? Even if they had Trevor Lawrence, they wouldn't be good. All right. Um, but, yeah, like I was saying, <laughs> um, Tennessee and Jacksonville, maybe one last time, Tennessee just Mike Vrabel's you and Derrick Henry's you and makes the playoffs somehow with Josh Dobbs as the quarterback, who, by the way, looks pretty competent out there. Looks better than Malik Willis. Uh, But Jacksonville is the favorite in this game, and uh, I expect Tennessee to cover, but I think Jacksonville will probably win this game, but I I expect Tennessee to cover the 6.5. To Sunday we go, 1 p.m. on Sunday. The Jets are trying to play spoiler in Miami. They're minus 2, and by the way, like I mentioned earlier, Mike White was not a full participant in practice. Um, I don't know who's going to win this game. I'm going to take Miami. It doesn't matter who's playing. It's probably going to be Joe Flacco against Mike Lennon, so that's a real fun game to watch. I probably won't watch a lot of this game. I expect it to get really ugly for the Jets, and I expect Miami to win and cover the minus two, uh, which makes things a whole lot more interesting in, uh, I guess, if it depends on Miami and, and New England and Pittsburgh. So if Miami wins, they're they're in if New England loses to Buffalo. So yeah, it does make things a little bit more interesting for Miami to win this game and we'll knock Pittsburgh out. They're playing at the same time. They're playing at home against Cleveland. Pittsburgh is minus two and a half. I think Pittsburgh gets the perfect season or not the perfect season, but continues the uh, over 500 season for Mike Tomlin with a playoff game on the line. I think they'll get up against Cleveland. I didn't think Cleveland looked particularly good against Washington. I think Pittsburgh will win and cover the minus two and a half again, but 
yeah, Pittsburgh fans, welcome to my hell. You guys have to root for the Jets this week. Well, imagine rooting for the Jets for the last 25 years. It's my personal hell, and you're all welcome <laughs> to be a part of it. Uh, it's not going to go well for you. So Pittsburgh minus two and a half, but you still need a Jets win. Good luck with that. Houston is at Indianapolis for a totally meaningless game. Indianapolis is minus two and a half. I don't know. Who cares? Tampa Bay is at Atlanta. Atlanta is minus four and a half. There's a chance here that Tampa Bay, they don't have much to play for. But like I said, uh, the offense finally looks like it's starting to click. So I don't see a reason to sit everyone in the first half. Maybe they play even a half a football game, which should be enough for them to beat Atlanta. So I'm going to take Tampa to at least cover the four and a half, if not win the game against Atlanta outright. Carolina is at New Orleans, also a game that no longer matters. It's New Orleans minus three and a half. I like Sam Darnold. I'm going to take Carolina to cover the minus three and a half in this game. New England is at Buffalo. Buffalo is minus seven. The standing ovation um, that we're going to see in Buffalo, because I, I, I assume they're going to do this, but I hope they do. I, I don't know. I can't say for certain that I know they're going to do, but I'm assuming Denny Kellington and the entire staff, the entire medical and training staff of the Buffalo Bills will get honored uh, before this game. And I think the Buffalo Bills Mafia um, is just going to be awesome. That's going to be so freaking awesome to see. Um, just, I mean, it's emotional thinking about it. It really is. And I think Buffalo hasn't practiced all week, so there's a chance that New England is going to come in and win. Uh, we know Bill Belichick is cold-hearted, but um, just for all the purposes of just, you know, what, I don't know, I it's hard to be to not be romantic about sports. I think Buffalo is going to win by a million. Give me Buffalo minus seven in this game at home with the Bills Mafia. They're going to do it for DeMar. Uh, Minnesota is at Chicago, and Minnesota, or Chicago, I should say, is plus seven and a half. I'm going to take Chicago to cover because I don't think Minnesota is very good, and Minnesota always plays one-score games. I don't think Fields is going to play uh, because they don't want him to get hurt which, yeah, makes sense because uh, he gets himself hurt the way he plays, the style he plays football. Uh, he definitely has a chance to get hurt, but you have to play that style if you want to win games because he's not a particularly good passer of the football. Um, so I'm going to take Chicago, though, to still cover against Minnesota. Baltimore is at Cincinnati, and like I said, um, initially on my notes I wrote it means nothing for Baltimore. That's not true because Baltimore can, if they win and get a coin toss to go their way and they end up having to play Cincinnati – they get a home playoff game. So it actually does mean a lot for Baltimore. And it's Cincinnati minus seven and a half. I'm going to take Baltimore to cover. These teams always play uh, in close games. And seven and a half just seems wide. Um, I think Cincinnati might be in a weird way more affected. They don't have the let's play for DeMar, you know, mentality. And so I think with them, they have less to play for than Baltimore. Um, so even though, yeah, the home playoff game matters to them too. But I feel, just feel like... Uh, this might be a little bit of a weird game for Cincinnati more than Buffalo. Uh, and so Baltimore, I think, can beat, and I meant to say Buffalo, yes, because I th I'm talking about those two teams who played in that weird Monday night game. Um, so I think Baltimore has an advantage there, and I think Baltimore will cover the 7.5 if not win this game. To 425, and this is the whole NFC slate where they all go against each other to see who's going to make the playoffs, um, other than obviously Detroit and Green Bay. The Giants... Like I said, there's no indication of what they're going to do. They can't even move move in the seating. They're going to be where they are. So no reason to play Saquon Barkley. Maybe they decide to play Daniel Jones because he's finally building chemistry with these receivers, these random no-name receivers, and maybe you don't want to ruin that chemistry. So maybe you do play uh, Daniel Jones in this game, but it's minus 14 for Philadelphia. Even if Philadelphia goes up big, like 
I don't see any way for this to be a 14-point spread, especially I saw it's like a 14-point spread, especially because like if they're up big, then they'll take their starters out also. So I don't think either – I don't think this is going to be a 14-point game. So I'm going to take uh, the Giants. I do think Philadelphia has a lot to play for, and they'll win and get that number one seed. But I think the Giants will cover in this game. L.A. is at Seattle. Seattle is minus six. And I hate to say it, but I think – Baker Mayfield is playing for his career, and I think Gino's going to blow it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm writing him off again, and I know he keeps not writing back, but I'm doing it again. I don't know. I'm writing him off. I think the Rams are going to cover the six, and I think they have a chance to outright beat the Seattle Seahawks in this game. The Chargers are at Denver. It's two and a half. Um, I don't know if the Chargers are starting anyone. This is actually an AFC game. I said all these games were NFC games. I was wrong. This is an AFC game. Um, I don't know if they're starting anyone um, in this game. I don't know what they have left to play for. I don't think Russell Wilson is playing either. Uh, so it's the battle of the backups. I'm going to take the Chargers anyway to cover because, uh, I don't know, Denver's not a very good football team. Arizona at San Francisco. San Francisco is minus 14 in this game. And San Francisco also still playing for the number one seed. By the way, they're minus 14, but the over-under is 40. So like that that, that number just doesn't make sense. I think San Francisco will win and cover the 14. I think San Francisco will come out after last week uh, where their defense maybe got a little bit uh, humiliated, especially at the end of that game that they allowed a game-tying drive uh, by the Raiders. So um, I think I, I'm going to take San Francisco's defense to come out and dominate, and I'll take the under also in this game. I'll take San Francisco minus 14 and the under. Yeah, that's that's wild. And Dallas at Washington, like I said, all those three games are happening at once, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Dallas, so that's very fun. Um, and Washington is plus seven. I'm going to take Dallas. Uh, Sam Howell is starting for Washington, so I'm going to take Dallas to win and cover the minus seven on the road in Washington as Riverboat Ron will probably be coaching his last game, I think, for the Washington football commanders. Sunday night football is the game we've all been looking forward to. Detroit at Green Bay. Green Bay is minus four and a half at home, and I'm going to take Detroit to cover. I talked about this. With everything we saw, I still don't fully trust Green Bay. I don't know. Something just, there's something fishy to me about this Green Bay team. There's something that could still tell me that Rodgers maybe isn't fully happy. Maybe he just kind of wants to give the middle finger to everyone in Green Bay and say sayonara. Um, I don't know. We'll know already if Detroit can make a playoff game. But I, if, if my script actually happens and Seattle loses against LA and then Detroit has a playoff game on the line. Now, like I said, I think there's more likelihood that Detroit wins if they don't have a playoff game on the line. If they're playing spoiler, I said, because there's less less pressure. It, it makes sense. Um, trust me. If you think it doesn't make sense, let me know. But I, I think it makes sense that Detroit actually might have more of a chance to win if they're just playing spoiler. But even if they don't win, I think this will be a close, fun, awesome Sunday night football game. Win in, you're in for the Packers. And like I said, I think it's actually more fun if like Detroit technically has nothing to play for. And still, the Packers find a way to lose. That would just be funny. Um, so I love Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to be rooting for Aaron Rodgers. I have a future on the Packers to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I do. Sadly, it's true. Um, but uh, like I said, I think the Detroit Lions will cover the four and a half and have a chance to win this game. All right, Those are the picks for Sunday, for Saturday. It's week 18. It's going to be fun. I'll be back here Sunday night for the playoffs, preview the playoffs. We'll finally know all the matchups and everything. We might not know everything because of all the different circumstances in the AFC, but uh, we'll probably know mostly everything. And then shortly after that, we'll have the schedule for the playoffs. It's going to be fun. 
NFL playoffs. This is what it's all about. The Jets aren't in it as always, so I could sit back like a real just gambling degenerate and real football fan and enjoy it with you guys. I hope you all have a great weekend. Uh, Hopefully next Sunday I don't delete my entire file before I post the podcast, so you'll be hearing from me hopefully on Monday. And until then, have a great weekend. Thank you always for listening. Thank you for sharing it. It means so much to me. I appreciate it. See ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. I see your subway cars and your old graffiti. I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, 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 Always on my road, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I change it Oh, 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 always on my own I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, oh that I'll ever know oh, oh, My country oh, 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 I'm still New York Yeah, BK born and raised, I was Godsent to hit them courtyard and prospect Take them long walks on my time spent Just a kid with that empire state of mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it Even if I do though, I can never hide it Top down on the west side when I'm driving East side be the only side that I'm riding And I'm still New York